Straits brings legal and business insights at the intersection of the shipping and energy sectors. This podcast series offers trends, developments, challenges and topics of interest from Reed Smith litigation, regulatory and finance lawyers across our network of global offices. If you have any questions about the topics discussed on this podcast, please do contact our speakers. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Trading Straits. I'm Alex Brandt, a partner in our London office, and I'm joined today with James Willen from our Dubai office. And we're really excited to talk to you a bit about what's going on in the sanctions world. And uh, particularly excited to catch up with James because obviously Dubai is becoming a bit of an epicenter for uh, sanctions and, and the new companies that are moving from Russia to that jurisdiction. So perhaps we'll come back to that and, and uh, talk a bit about that. But to start with, I think the big news of the last couple of days has been the, the product price cap that has been uh, introduced by the EU and uh, the UK, US and, and G7. For those of you who haven't been following this, the price cap for product uh, follows the crude measures that were brought in, in on 5th of December. The G7 has set the premium product cap at 100 bucks per barrel and then 45 bucks for the discount to crude products. Um, and this covers uh, the maritime transportation of this product from Russia uh, to third countries. And I have to say, given by the uh, the number of instructions in last week, clearly these measures and the the relaxation of the ability to to carry this product to third countries has been far greater interest to our clients than the crude restrictions and and cap in December. But I think to everyone's disappointment, the, this price cap measure was, I think, meant to be uh, meant to make it simpler for those who were trying to transport this stuff, and those, uh, particularly those who are classed as tier three actors, so the ship owners, um, ship brokers, etc. But the certainty and simplicity that the cap was meant to introduce, you know, you get your attestation, and that's your complete answer to your counterparts and to the regulator. That's been eroded, I think, and and probably in three key areas. The first is uh, the wind-down measures. So uh, the EU was last to announce this, but finally on, I think, the 4th of February, they confirmed that they were joining with the UK and the US to allow a wind-down of products already on vessels uh, to be discharged by 1st of April. Now, we were hoping that that was going to be quite straightforward, what you could and couldn't do there. But there's been lingering ambiguity about the situation where product is transshipped during that wind-down. Now, on the UK side, it seems tolerably clear that you're allowed to transship by way of STS to, an, to another vessel as long as the product is discharged by 1st of April. But on the EU side in particular, it's far less clear of what the regulator was trying to achieve there. So it's just one example of how something that, that should and could have been straightforward um, just hasn't been. And I think another another area where I think we thought we had clarity, but that's proved not to be the case, is the question of whether uh, a vessel can stem Russian bunkers when calling at Russia. Russian bunkers obviously fall, or at least certain classes of bunkers, fall within that 2710 uh, price cap uh, introduced by the EU. And prior to uh, guidance introduced shortly before the 5th of February cutoff, there was a general feeling that bunkering was probably okay and fell outside the price cap measures. But the EU and the UK, by way of FAQs and guidance, has, has poured considerable uncertainty around that. And that's left us and, and others scrabbling to try and engage with the regulator to work out where exactly we stand. And I think the third area 
where there is still concern and uncertainty, at least in my mind, is the scenario where you have oil cargo on the water that you, you discover is not price cap compliant. So the parties involved, or the, the owner and charterer, certainly, um, they have attestations and they believe um, in good faith that, that the cargo they're, they're carrying is price cap compliant, but it turns out not to be the case. Now, in that situation, you obviously have the potential for real difficulty because the insurers and the other ancillary service providers can no longer rely on the attestations provided, nor, in fact, can the ship owner. And it does beg the question, what 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 does one do in that situation? Now, this is something that time and again, I know industry actors have approached regulators seeking some sort of guidance and clarification and comfort on. Um, but the answers that we've received are really not uh, not satisfactory. And there's very little in the, the latest guidance that, that gives a steer on this. So those are three areas where, uh, as I say, we were we were striving or the regulators were striving for simplicity in order to keep that product flowing to third countries. But these are these are real these are real issues on the table at the moment. I think one of the other things that I've noticed in the last month in sanctions more generally, not just talking about the price cap, is the the shift and and, and the feedback that we're getting from regulators. And um, last year, you know, we were putting in license applications on behalf of our clients and really getting nothing back. You know, it felt on many occasions, it felt like these things were going into the ether. The same when you're trying to engage with the regulator on really important issues um, of clarification. But in the last two months or so, that has changed dramatically. And I think that's probably because uh, we know, you know, the UK regulator, but, but, but across the board, there's been a considerable bolstering of the number of officers working in OFSI or uh, ECJU on the UK side, um, FISMA and the member states. You know, all of these, all of these uh, regulators, all these institutions have had increase in numbers. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that in terms of the response times. We're seeing that in terms of the, the reflective responses. But I think that, that that is positive. But what may not be so positive for clients is that uh, I'm sure that uh, there will be a significant uptick in enforcement as we go into 2023, uh, because these, these these officers, many of them will, will need to, in a sense, it, you know, it's justifying existence. So that that I think will be a change in this year. And I guess the final area where you're really seeing a change in the landscape is through litigation. You know, sanctions has been uh, sanctions issues have been litigated in the UK courts, uh, the English courts, uh, over the past couple of years. But it's really been a trickle. And now, if you just look at the last 12 months or so, that trickle has turned into a real flow. And that and there's a whole there's a whole sort of separate podcast. Um, to delve into what is what is coming out of the English courts, but one of the the overarching themes that I've noticed, at least, is that there is clearly a real difficulty with the UK or um, and the US and the EU will be the same. Uh, asset freezes. Now these asset freezes they work fine in the context of money in a bank account, but where you have vessels involved, it's clear that the asset freeze jurisdiction becomes very very complicated and how to manage. Uh, that in practice, where a vessel can't just sit there idle, you know, she needs to be uh, serviced and maintained. Um, and so that a do nothing attitude, like the money in a bank account, is really not an option. And so the court has obviously had to grapple with that. And it's fascinating to see how that th- those narratives are unfolded. So I think, 
you know, on the on the on the transportation shipping side, they're the they're the big stories from 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 my perspective. And James, what are you what are you seeing? What are you seeing in Dubai? What are you seeing on the uh, on the commodity side of the fence? Well, I think rather obviously, Dubai as a as a jurisdiction is 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 clearly benefiting. Whether that's right or whether that's wrong, I can see it with my own eyes. So the the, the DMCC, which was traditionally the the commodities free zone here in Dubai, uh, you'd have the traders. You, you know, you'd have, you'd have you'd also have a lot of owner companies there as well. It's, it wasn't just a, a traders den; it was owners, ship owners. It was the whole sort of marine nexus, really. But that's but that's really shifting. Um, I think the owners are tending to move out and. You've got a lot of new players in there, um, a lot of new traders, a lot of entities that haven't probably been around for, for significant amounts of time. And I think there's a few elements to that. I think there's genuine legitimate trade. I do. I think it's it's wrong to completely say that it's it's all it's all dark arts. I think there is genuine legitimate trade going on. Um, we've all seen the headlines, the numbers. You know, it's been big business in the commodity sector in 2022, um, and I think. Like anything in this world, Dubai is a commercial capitalist place, and I think people have looked to seize upon that. And you know, if, if where the UAE has taken a whether whether it be a political policy, public policy, whatever you want to do, what do you want to do? They haven't imposed um, anything significant in terms of Russian restrictions. You've you've naturally had a lot of Russian companies, Russian businesses that have relocated their commercial entities to, to Dubai. The Tasco is a classic, isn't it? The Tasco has pretty much moved lock, stock, and barrel its its business operations in, into the DMCC, and we just obviously, you know, pre the war, pre sanction, we we just wouldn't have seen that level of investment. There's always been traditionally Russian traders and Russian commodities in Dubai, but clearly not to the levels that that we're seeing right now. Is it a good thing? Um, I say it's, it's it's a mixed blessing, isn't it? Again, Dubai rightly or wrongly, has a bit of a historical record for seizing on volatile opportunities, should we put it lightly. This isn't unusual for Dubai. So uh, Iranians in some shape or form have operated in Dubai historically. So none of this is particularly new. It just feels very front and centre in terms of the watchdogs, the, the various press releases recently, isn't there, about the UAE coming under a closer scrutiny for this kind of level of investment. Where that's going to go, I honestly don't know right now, hand on heart. There's a part of me that wonders whether or not the main flux of it is here now and that's it. That seems to be the market perception that those that were going to move here have moved and we won't see any more significant changes in that respect. But it it certainly changed the dynamics of, of Dubai and how it operates, I think, as a, as a commodities uh, hub. But yeah, as you said, it's, it's, I think February 5th was a, was a real shocker for a few people. It certainly was for me. <laughs> like, like you, I was eagerly awaiting the, the various guidances over the weekend that seemed to come out last minute as, as, as per normal. I, I hate this regulation by guidance. I, I find it deeply, deeply frustrating because obviously... Me and you are having, and a few of us are having conversations about how these uh, guidances are to be interpreted when 
fundamentally the underlying legislation hasn't changed, which is just crazy, isn't it? It's, just, yeah. it's, it's a crazy proposition to suggest when you're telling clients and you're giving advice on what fundamentally is the law when the law itself hasn't changed. It's just a guidance or guidances have come out and given it a completely different slant, which, which you know, is, is actually quite frustrating. Just pulling at that, that string, I mean, one of the concerns I have with it is, as you say, that the guidance doesn't seek to introduce new law. It seeks to interpret law, which on some, some occasions has been around for nine months or so. So there's a real challenge there about, you know, at what point in time does one say that an activity is prohibited and, or not? You know, and those are, those are difficult questions to answer. And, and sometimes when you look at contractual performance, it's an absolutely critical factor in all of this. So, no, like you, I, I find it incredibly frustrating. And the one thing I did about you, I noticed more this time around. So I always recognise and we all tell clients that, you know, you need to examine the various regulators approach to all these things because you shouldn't work on the basis that they're all doing it completely hand in hand and it's all the same. But by and large, there's been generally a significant con- consistency between the US, the EU and the UK with, with a few sort of crazy quirks here and there. I thought the February 5th was the first time I saw a bit of divergence, significant divergence between the three regulators, um, almost to the point where the US have kept it relatively clean and simple and the, the other two have gone off on a bit of a, a bit of a bit of a tangent, which again isn't ideal for clients, isn't it? Because I know clients definitely have a view that, oh well, it's it's all the same, it's all the you know, they're all issuing the same types of legislation and they really aren't this time around they really aren't there's a, there's a, there's a definite departure between the three yeah well and, and as you say i mean that particularly dangerous for for our clients where their exposure comes across the three jurisdictions or at least potentially does you know it's and when you're when you're trying to when you're trying to make sure you're within the four corners of eu uk and us and um, that, that that is that is a real challenge. It's a real challenge, and and I think one of the problems, I, and I think this is a problem that the UK regulator has had in the past, and and reflects in the in the guidance still, is the the starting point that they are dealing with UK principles, as in a UK company looking out on the world, as opposed to as opposed to truly appreciating that actually uh, the UK is not a huge ship owning or even commodity you know sort of centre really where the UK comes from is on that insurance and finance bent. And so mm-hmm. guidance doesn't really fit within, so or sometimes doesn't really fit within the, the four corners of the guidance at all. And that that's a, that's disappointing, I think, you know, 12 months on. I'm, I'm always surprised as well. I know we're, we're great as a firm at reaching out to the sort of industry contacts, the, the IGs of this world. I'm always surprised that they don't have a lot more interaction before these regulations come out <laughs> consistently. Yeah. Um, those, those kind of surprises we saw on February 5th to me, I kind of thought shouldn't really happen. I, I agree. And I think, you know, again, I, the, I think that industry outreach does happen, but, you know, it, but sometimes it just wonders if it's not really getting to the right people, if it's not properly being reflected upon. Um, I'm sure, <laughs> you know, does it, it's, it's interesting. It's definitely an interesting facet of all this. Yeah, you just you would just think twelve months in now, you would have thought internally they would all have their various touch points within those contact points, but that that's just not the case. 
but it keeps us busy, I suppose. Going forward, then, I'm, I'm asked this, I think, um, almost on a weekly basis. Where do I see sanctions going? Surely that's the end of the road. There can't be any more for this. Uh, <laughs> and my my answer is I'm not so sure. How about, how about you? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. I mean, the, the tenth package on the... Uh, 10th package on the EU side is due to drop in a week's time, I think. Um, So clearly in the, in the immediate short term, it's not going anywhere. Um, Although, you know, you, you wonder obviously which, which direction now is left for the EU to travel in. There's obviously things they can do, particularly around gas. Um, But is there, is there political willingness to do that? Less clear. But I do wonder, I do wonder if the story of, of this year is going to be much more about consolidation and playing around with the nuances of the sanctions that are currently in place. You know, you've seen a, you've seen a bit of that with just with the, the coal, the EU coal stuff, and the FAQs coming, going, coming, going. Are we? Aren't we? And I and I sort of wonder whether actually this year is going to be about okay, not not necessarily expanding what we currently have, but trying to make it work and trying to make it a bit more effective. Um, in the wider geopolitical context that the regulators operate in, so that, that that's that's my prediction. I think. No, I can I can I know they keep hinting at it, but I I can see some serious kind of as you said enforcement evasion tightening up type type approaches going forward. It's almost like we've got our we've got our base level in now with our kind of options, and now we're going to start to use them a little bit. Um, so I, I, I think we are going to see a little bit more on that tightening up the effectiveness, clamping down on those uh, those evasion options, and I think we, we might see one or two significant enforcements. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think one one of my one of my pleas to the regulators this year, in, in the context of sort of further sanctions, is on the asset freeze side. You know, we we started sort of ending the podcast where we started it. And the concern about um, the flight of Russian companies, some sanctioned, some not, to jurisdictions that are traditionally much harder for for due diligence uh, software to penetrate. We know, for example, from you know, historically that some of the regulators have very strong intelligence, human intelligence, from jurisdictions like the middle, you know, in the Middle East. And my hope would be that industry is not left floundering around trying to work out who is behind, you know, companies that it's very, very difficult for us to penetrate and that actually the regulators take a lead on sanctioning those entities in foreign countries that they that they wish to target and they wish to to exclude from, you know, G7 business uh, as opposed to, you know, our clients having to do that. And it's, you know, it's been a bugbear of mine for many years now, but, but it's I think it's it's a necessity now because... It is making it very, very difficult to do business uh, and sort through the, you know, the wheat from the chaff. Secondary sanctions? Do you think we'll see any? Doesn't seem to be on the US's radar at the moment. I think you know, while everyone's broadly pulling in the same direction, doesn't seem to be quite so um, on their agenda. But I think on the the EU side, you know, you've seen some tinkering around with the legislation there, trying to give greater. Um, uh, greater powers to 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 extend asset freezes to those supporting um, malign activity. So yeah, I mean, on that side of things, I suppose it, whether you call that pure secondary sanctions or or not, um, I c- I could see some movement in that direction. What do you think? 
you can see a few kind of targets, can't you? Kind of like points of principle type enforcements going on. You know, one or two. You know, basically where I'm where I'm sat. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the turkeys of the world you can see one or two kind of like points of principle being being enforced just to kind of say look you know we're not going to stand for this nonsense anymore I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's one or two of those that 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 come out and i think one or two maybe significant names that that get caught up in there um that, that, that's that was always my experience on the iranian side um, pick pick a few things that make people stand to notice you know and let those let the ramifications of those kind of enforcements do do do, do their work. Um, you definitely get a sense that on the regulator side, the OFAC side, definitely there's a bit of a tension there, isn't there? There's a bit of a frustration that you know we've got the the, the layers in place, we've got the regulations in place, and yet still business goes on, um, which will always happen. You know, you, you can put the best regulations in the world, but people will always find ways and means. But I can just see one or two really. I can think of a few serious names that might be getting a bit nervous this year that they've kind of sailed a bit too close to the wind um, and, and, and might find they get their um, comeuppance, but um, but we shall see. Yeah, as you say, I mean the the next the next round of the next round is is due imminently, and and I suppose you know doubtless you and I will will sit down after that and try and pick through and and not just work out. What exactly they're saying, but what the the mood music um, can be gleaned from that as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, oddly, as you say, some of these enforcements actually can be quite helpful, really, because at least gives you an idea of what they're thinking. Sometimes you're sort of grasping around in the dark as to where they're looking to land with these things. Clients are always asking, aren't they? You know, what what is the level of enforcement here? What are they looking for? And at the moment, we're sort of grabbling around in the dark most of the time. But one or one or two kind of enforcements give you an indication of where in fact the, the regulators are looking to, to go with this. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I agree with that. And I think also, you know, the, the increased um, interaction with the regulators in the context of licenses, you know, that, that, that echo chamber you talk about is certainly seems to be changing a bit. And, and that's really welcome because every interaction we have with the regulators now, um, it feeds our analysis. Okay, I think we're um, we're coming to the end of our allotted time, Alex. Um, obviously, me and you are uh, sanctions geeks and could probably go on for hours, but that was um, that was great to catch up, and we covered quite a lot of points, I think, in there. So hopefully, that's um, that's helpful for the listeners. So thank you very much for joining us today and listening in to our um, Trading Straits uh, podcast, dealing with uh, specifically sanctions issues in the shipping and energy world hope you enjoyed uh, Alex and I's thoughts and no doubt there'll be uh, a further podcast uh, from the sanctions team in the pipeline. Thank you very much. Trading Straits is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's energy and natural resources or transportation practices, please email tradingstraits at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, and readsmith.com, and our social media accounts at Readsmith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. 
prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.